All right, here we are under the tower with CEO, President and CEO Jeff Fiesel for a CEO sit down. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, John. I'm going to speak quieter and you're going to speak louder, according to John Fiesel, and we'll be okay through all this. We'll see how that works out. Well, we had a great, great, great holiday. Busy, busy holiday. We have, I think I saw yesterday we had. 208 in the emergency room uh, with no left without being seen yesterday. That was a big day yesterday. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Everybody and was uh, saving up. Uh, they stayed out of here over the holidays and uh, loaded up uh, for us on uh, Monday. They did. And for one left without being seen, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Team's doing a great job down there moving, uh, moving patients through and uh, getting them triaged, getting them back, getting their... their um, testing done and uh, makes people less less likely to want to walk out and think they can get in, get things done faster somewhere else. So doing a great job. And speaking of fast, I was talking with Ben Eby and uh, he's touting uh, Deltona as the fastest emergency room around. And I also noticed our census is up to about 34 patients. So we're doing pretty well there. Um, it, it is. For the last couple of weeks, it uh, was all the way up to 43. Uh, we had 47 or 48 in there, which means we had some patients holding in the ED because we only have 43 inpatient beds there um, that are currently activated. And uh, so we had some overflow in the ED. I think yesterday we saw 74 patients in yep. that emergency department. So it was a, it was a big day, and uh, I think we've got... Um, Deltona Fire Ambulance and EMS dropping more patients there. There was just a, a lot of misinformation in that market as to what Halifax and uh, UF Health could do there. And uh, I think that was uh, unfortunately being directed by uh, our competition. But uh, we've gone out, Ben and his team gone out and met with uh, and Lindsay. Um, the paramedics in the market and uh, cleared the air. And I think the paramedics are grateful for that, um, knowing that they can come there and, and uh, receive specialty care, the highest level of care um, possible. And uh, so that's being reflected in our, our volumes, both inpatient ER as well as surgical. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, um, I'm feeling better about Deltona because of that piece. And then I think we're also starting to understand the market. It's a little bit younger market, um, and so we just have to think things a little bit differently. We started its own social media. We're, you know, we're doing some things differently. And, and uh, we added Victor Ramos uh, to the mix, and hopefully he's getting to all the primary care physicians so that they know that they can trust us with their patients. Yeah, we have to uh, relax a little bit um, when we look at the performance of Deltona. It's a new hospital. Anytime you start up a new uh, business in a, a, a different market than what your primary service area is takes a little bit of time to to get uh, uh, up to full speed. And we opened that at the uh, beginning of the pandemic, right? <laughs> um, so we couldn't have opened it at a worse time when right. people were staying away from the emergency room. They weren't having surgery. They were staying away from the hospital at all costs. And um, so we dealt with two years of that. So we had to hit the reset button. And we've deployed some resources over there. And, um, you know, if you, if you look at the business plan and the pro forma there, um, you know, we might as well wipe the first two years off of that. And right. if, you, if you just kind of uh, back that up a couple of years, we're, we're right in uh, where we should be, hitting full stride. And uh, um, we keep this up for, you know, four to six months. 
uh, with these volumes, at th these kind of ca capacity, then we'll have to t uh, begin talking about building out the rest of the ER, um, as well as the inpatient environment there. We've got 43 beds, we can go up to 90 beds there. In the ER currently, we're using 15,000 square feet. We have 12 beds. Um, we have the ability to build out another 10,000 square feet, and we can probably get up around somewhere between 36 and 40 beds there. Um, and you say, well, that math really doesn't work as far as square footage, but all the infrastructure is yeah, already true. there. That's true. You just all the support rooms, things are right? there. So what we would really be adding is truly additional beds and yeah. rooms. So, um, um, you know, we'll, and we also have room to build out additional surgical suites. So there's a lot of room for expansion there, and that, uh, that hospital can take off in a hurry. Um, and uh, we're anticipating that it will, will, so we need to be planning accordingly. And the one thing I'll say is if anybody, any of our team members are on I-4 and have never gone in there, it is worth pulling over and checking it out. It is absolutely beautiful. Every time I have an opportunity uh, to walk in there, whether I'm coming or going from Orlando or Tampa, uh, anywhere over there, uh, I stop in. And every time I do, it's just, I, I shake my head because John, you're absolutely right. It is a gorgeous hospital. And um, it's got everything brand spanking new. The yeah. operating rooms are beautiful with the latest technology. The imaging technology is top notch. Everything is fantastic. And uh, for that community not to have uh, the knowledge about that hospital, um, you know, shame on them and shame on us. You know, we, we talk about it a lot like we are now, but we need to keep talking yeah. about it. We need to continue to do Absolutely. outreach and uh, make people aware of the capabilities. And that was our objective in going there. Right. And, and there are plenty of people there because yeah. it's bigger than yeah. Daytona Beach. And um, it will eventually probably be as large as Daytona, Port Orange, Ormond, and Holly Hill all put together someday. It's Our just objective massive. was to bring uh, choice to the west side of the county, bring specialty care, and bring the highest quality of health care that can possibly be experienced to, uh, to the west side of Volusia County. And uh, it's there now, and it's starting to, to take off, and uh, it will grow, uh, I think, very quickly. Especially as the land around there develops, it'll be huge. Let's talk about New Smyrna Beach. So we've had a change in New Smyrna Beach in oncology, but this also means growth in Port Orange. It does. Um, you know, for years, geez, this is probably 25 years, uh, we had a partnership with Burtfish Medical Center. And uh, it was all around oncology. Um, we had partnered, this goes back to the days of Halifax Fish Community Health. We had partnered with Burt Fish and um, they didn't have any money. And so we agreed to put an oncology program down there in partnership with them um, in order to lease some space so that the, the Schildecker building could be built. And that's where the oncology program is housed. And there's some other imaging um, services that were provided there. And uh, that allowed, um, because we signed a long-term lease, Halifax signed a long-term lease with them, uh, they were able to issue bonds to build the Schildecker building. So it's been around a long time, and, and a lot of people don't uh, fully understand the history of it, and I'm sure there's things about it that I don't fully understand, because it was open and running before I got here 23 years ago. 
But it was a good thing for the people of New Smyrna Beach because right. they didn't have to travel for medical oncology or, or uh, radiation oncology. Uh, our medical oncologists and radiation oncologists covered the program uh, from a professional perspective. And it, it, it served the community well, which is the intention of um, public hospitals and uh, a part of our mission and a part of the original mission of Burt Fish. And uh, um, so after Advent took over Burt Fish, uh, we continued the program because there were provisions for the buyout and termination of the program. And I think it was um, a great thing for the community but what's happened is um, um, I think it's just simple business that it's time to reinvest in the linear accelerator down there. Right. Um, it's an older piece of equipment. And um, I think Advent saw an opportunity to get out. They didn't want to invest in a linear accelerator on that site when they're potentially looking at building a hospital out on 44 and 95. Right. So they, they saw an opportunity to exit, and um, that's okay. Um, you know, life is, uh, life is all about change, and you got to look forward. So we uh, had, saw the opportunity uh, to expand our medical oncology in Port Orange, and we're installing a linear accelerator there at our Port Orange location um, west of the hospital on Dunlawton Avenue. And um, that will be open in April of next year 2024 so we'll be offering uh, both medical and radiation oncology so the people from southeast Volusia can continue to see our doctors in that environment and doctors that they're f uh, familiar with it may not be as close to home for them but you know halifax uh, medical oncology halifax um, radiation oncology Halifax Oncology in general is a brand that people know in the community, they're Absolutely. comfortable with. And um, so I think that uh, they'll travel a little bit. And we're also looking at a storefront in Southeast Volusia to uh, market the medical and radiation oncology programs. We may not be doing all the same services, but um, it's, a, it's an extension of our oncology program, as Burt Fish was. So, right. Um, we believe that uh, we'll be able to maintain, you know, the majority of patients that we've seen in the past, um, should they need our services. And uh, like I said, it's a brand that people are comfortable with. So I feel good about our move to Port Orange. Yeah, I think it's good. And, you know, I recently read that Port Orange is the number one fastest growing spot. So in the end, I think, you know, how things present themselves sometimes, uh, it's really going to be great for the entire Southeast because we can have it all right there by the hospital, the lab, everything. Yes, there is a saying that John um, F. Kennedy once said that uh, change is the law of life. Yep. And, you know, if you look to the past or get stuck in the present, you'll miss the future. And uh, that's the case when, you know, you, and it's a good thing. We've got a growing community. And we can grouse about it all we yep. want, or we can buckle down and get out in front of it and uh, provide the services that they're going to need because it's an opportunity and somebody's going to take advantage. Well, and the truth is the amount of cancer, um, the amount of people with cancer out there is growing, 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 unfortunately. And um, I was talking with Dr. Steve Miles not long ago. And he said, you know, we had this many stroke patients with strokes. We had this many this. But he said, you know, cancer diagnosis, well, well cancer 
preventative diagnosis and treatment is going to continue to just grow. And it's just the way things are. Yeah. So we'll be ready. It's unfortunate. Um, You know, when I was younger, a younger lad, um, there's many things I had hoped hoped would be fixed by now and there would be solutions for, and cancer is one of them. And while we've made tremendous strides with immunotherapies and different things, there's still a long ways to go. And I think that uh, um, for some of the pharmaceutical industry, I think it's probably more lucrative not to find a cure, but True. just to, to work on some interim uh, solutions and things, which is you know really unfortunate to have that mindset. But uh, with the people in, in this world and the intelligence, you know, you would have thought we, we could have found a cure for cancer uh, or at least something that's, that's uh, better than um, chemotherapy and right. some of the things we right. have to do to people today. Um, but Dr. Miles is absolutely right. He's very intelligent. He's studied this for a long time. And um, it's it's going to be a driver of health care. Yeah, it really will be. It's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. And along those lines, our Cancer Center for Hope just got a, uh, a really, really um, great achievement and accreditation from Novalis. And um, that's a rare thing. It is, and um, I I guess we're the second hospital in the state of Florida to have achieved this, another one of those onlys. Um, It sounds daunting. uh, (laughs) Well, yeah, you start talking in some of these terms, stereotactic radio surgery and stereotactic body radiation therapy. It's like, okay, um, sounds important. Yeah, I tried to do a video. Wish I could explain it. With uh, Dr. Alvarez (laughs) and Dr. Factor, and um, they're very proud of it. It was a whole lot of work, and uh, really what it means is that our protocols, you know, everything we're doing is right up with where it needs to be, the best around. And so I just take it, I take it from there. It's the best around. That's what I get it from it. Well, and that's what we hear over and over. Sometimes people think they need to leave our community to receive the, a high level of care and the best care. Yeah. And they end up getting referred right back here. So true. By specialists, especially in oncology. Um, I had a buddy who took his son and, and took him all over, took him to uh, MD Anderson in Houston, took him to Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, you know, two of the biggest cancer programs in the world, uh, took him to um, Ann Arbor, to the University of Michigan, um, the Ohio State University, Duke, all over trying to find solutions for his brain tumor, and they ended up uh, choosing a doctor at Duke. And that doctor ended up saying, I, I will treat you for this, but you need to understand, you have doctors at Halifax right. Health and Daytona right. Beach that can do exactly what I'm doing here. And they're very good doctors because I went to school with them and I studied with them. So um, I've had multiple occasions where people have gone off seeking uh, second opinions just to be referred back to our docs here and the technology that we have. And this is an example of keeping up with the technology and having amazing physicians and clinicians that are able to use it and apply it to our patients in our community so that people don't have to leave uh, our area to, to get the highest level of care. And, and that's a goal that we have. And our, our amazing clinicians are doing a great job with it. But the really cool thing, because I've been counseling a lot of my colleagues these days on, on cancer care, is that I tell them, you know what, start at Halifax Health. And if you have some rare issue... Wouldn't you rather have somebody like Dr. Weiss call another cancer institute to get you in because he knows someone there and he networks with them? 
and maybe you have to have one treatment there and then you come back here to follow up, but it's a whole lot easier than going cold. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I mean, having the, the care and the compassion that these physicians have, and then I want to talk about the navigators. You know, that is a gift because we don't bill for those. No, we don't, but John, you're right on target. Um, I've had numerous people call and say, hey, can you help me get into Moffitt or UF or, 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 and I said, no, I can't, but um, I have doctors that can. Right. And uh, to your point, these doctors have colleagues, uh, people that they refer to often, people they went to school with, people they've worked with for years. They can pick up the phone, they can call them, and they can get you in there tomorrow. Right. If, if needed, um, if yeah, needed, if, if you need you to, know, that's that, the thing that doctor there are the same doctors that are saying, Hey, these guys and gals at, uh, Halifax can take care of this for yeah. you. I'm very confident in them. And, um, so those are the types of relationships that we have. And, you know, when we get a patient into our system, our navigators are amazing. Unbelievable. And, um, you know, to your point, they're not, uh, we're not compensated for their services, but they're critical to what we do, and we are so fortunate to have the um, luxury, if you will, of having them take these cancer patients and their families by the hand yep. and walk them through the process, do the hard stuff. Unbelievable. I can't get over it. You know, there, I had a friend who's got prostate cancer, and he was having an issue with his insurance, you know, um, being timely about... Um, uh, authorizing treatment and everything, and uh, Jennifer uh, Mathis just took care of it. And while he was there, he got authorization. I yeah. mean, that's crazy that people spend that much time and know the system and know how to work it. And and um, it really does make for a, a better experience when you're going through something difficult. Uh, it is, and uh, you, you pointed something out that it, it's Healthcare has gotten so specialized, and having navigators to help you navigate that process is is key. And um, we've got a uh, a long list of them in our oncology program, and they do a great job, um, along with our oncologists, in reaching out and finding whatever resources yeah. our patients and their families need. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, on to something really exciting: gain share. How about that? I was I was about to say, John, what could be more exciting <laughs> than all the, all the things we have going on in our oncology program? Um, Gain share. Money. Tell yeah, us about money. that. We had a Show good me year. The money. We had a good year. We did have a good year, and you know, it's it's interesting how Halifax has a way of rising to the occasion. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you look across the healthcare industry. Um, Healthcare organizations are filing bankruptcy and they're yeah. going out of business. True. And they're going out of business because they didn't have patients showing up at their hospital and, and seeking health care through the pandemic. So they depleted their their cash reserves. And while there was some money that helped out uh, from the federal government, uh, way too much money, quite frankly. Um, and I'm not saying that was our situation, but I just think the federal government threw a lot of money into uh, the pandemic and um, didn't shut it down fast enough. And that's why we've got some of the labor issues we right. have today, right. which is really the residual uh, from the pandemic is uh, because there was so much money thrown at people to stay at home and not have to work. Um, or, you know, it changed people's mentality. Yeah. People don't want to come to the office. And that's really what's um, 
a lot of people retired, a lot of clinicians yep. retired. Yep. And, you know, we've had contract labor, and we still have some contract labor in our non-nursing areas. But um, we've been able to weather that a little better than most because we've got tremendous uh, partners in our nursing and allied health professional uh, arena in Daytona State College, University of Central Florida, Kaiser, uh, Bethune-Cookman University. Uh, there's just a lot of good nursing programs around producing nurses, and so it's helped us navigate the process, and we've been busy. Yeah, So our no revenues doubt. have outpaced our premium labor expenses. Yeah, Not all hospitals and not all markets have been like that. So I say that, that you know, in an environment where um, organizations are really struggling financially, we've been thriving. Right. And it's because of some of the decisions we made on the front end of the pandemic. It's because some of the programs we've been working on for 20 plus years in partnership with uh, secondary educational facilities. Um, and we did well. Um, the fact of the matter is we started accruing money for a gain share early in the year. And our gain share has paid out when we beat our budget mm -hmm. and exceed it by an amount that's equal to or greater than that which we would pay out in the gain share. So after we pay out the gain share, um, theoretically, we still beat budget, operating budget. That's amazing. I know, I know I'm starting to dig into no, the numbers good, here though. a little bit. I never knew that. But we, uh, yeah, uh, we did not um, beat budget prior to gain share, okay? We actually were off budget by $6 million. Well, you know how much we put away for gain share? $6 million. So if we hadn't accrued that, True. then we would have been True. right at budget. Right, operating right. Operating budget. Um, okay, so... We said, we're going to go ahead and pay it anyways. And that was because our investments, our investment income, right. um, far exceeded budget and offset that $6 million. Right. So at the end of the day, our total margin was better than we had anticipated. And while some people will say, yeah, you can't always count on investments. No, you can't. But we could this year. Yeah. And we used it to make sure that our team members got paid a gain share because they deserve it. And in an inflationary environment, um, where maybe not everybody got the kind of raise that, that some people got, then uh, this was the right year for us to do it. And, you know, we, we've got a lot of uh, interesting and challenging times coming upon us that may affect uh, our ability to pay gain share in the future. I hope not. I hope we overcome them like we overcome the, the challenges of the past couple of years. So, it, you know, it's always a, a, a fun time. It's an honor and privilege to be able to, um, to reward people for work, hard work, well done. Right. So true. Now, one part of the gain share, which I know we're addressing, is that um, that HCAP uh, patient experience. And um, I've always been, I don't, we do work hard, especially all the clinicians and the people who are taking care of patients in the facility and feeding them. And I mean, there's a lot of hard work that goes out there. But we have to. And we've had Press Ganey come in, and I know there are mentors out there and managers. We have to get that number up. Not We all know um, anecdotally that we provide amazing care. We hear it all the time. Um, but why do we, from a business perspective, it's the right thing to do, and we want to make sure that our experience mirrors the expertise 
and the compassion. And so it comes down to the whole survey thing, which we can talk about later. But why is that so important to the business end of things in the future? Well, um, it's important because the public looks at it. And as, we, as more and more things are being reviewed on social media, right. uh, which I think is horrible. Uh, it's a horrible way to seek out health care. You need to talk to your doctor or yeah. a doctor right. about where you need to go for health care. And uh, you need to talk to a well-established doctor that's been in this community for a while. Not somebody who just hung a shingle out last week or was hired by whomever. Talk to somebody that's been a doctor in this community for an extended period of time and ask them where they send their loved ones. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is a lot of people look to social media and, um, you know, patient satisfaction scores are out there and available. And um, clinical outcomes data is out there and available. Well, we all know that, that other hospitals send us the most difficult patients that exist in our market. Um, we all know that we serve the socioeconomically deprived population in our community. That's okay. That's our, that's our mission. That's our goal. We exist to provide access to health care to everyone. So it, cr it creates a little bit of challenges for us, and our, our HCAPs are a part of that. Um, but we are so close. We really are. Um, you know, we only get credit when a patient uh, scores us a 9 or a 10 on right. a 10-point scale. And, um, you know, the majority of our, our scores, our numbers are in the 8s. Yep. So it's just that little bit that we need, that little bit extra that we need to provide. Um, and this goes back to our, you know, our, our service expectations of providing exceptional service. We have to provide exceptional service. We have to do it every encounter, every day to everyone. It's not easy, um, but when we do that, that's, that's where it tips the scale. We keep those things in mind and we, we stay focused on those service expectations and we will. I, I feel very, very confident that we're going to be able to, to push the cart over the top of the hill and then uh, um, it'll be a little bit better uh, ride on the way down than it was on the way up. Yeah, I think, I think we're, um, I don't know, the energy around the, the hospital and, and all of our facilities is really positive right now. I think the gain share contributed to it. I think, um, you know, the basket brigade? So the yeah, basket yeah. brigade, our group put together 200-plus baskets for people who maybe wouldn't have had a Thanksgiving dinner, and I saw a charge out of that, you know? And so I think there's a lot of really positive things happening. I, when I look at it, I look at the two things that I see are, one, it's really easy for someone to complain, and complain to a patient is... You know, I, I hear people live in the dream, you know, and they don't really mean it. So we've got to we've got to be on stage, as Disney would say. You know, the you know you can't complain. You you, you shouldn't complain because it really doesn't accomplish anything. And then the other thing is this scripting. And I think that um, Heidi and Alberto and Lindsay and Deb and all those folks, you know, we've got to get to that point. And what shocked me about the scripting was it said. When, when you review this, you, you'll probably get a survey in the mail, and, and uh, it's our goal to give you exceptional care, and I hope that you felt your care was an exceptional, and if you did, it's our goal, and we would really like it if you'd rate, rate us a 10. Hard to do for some people, but this is the piece on page 15 that I found out, which is minus the emergency department. So they really want to focus on 
not your entire stay, but your stay on that unit. And I thought that was interesting because I hadn't seen that before. And I know it's our goal for exceptional service in the emergency room, but it's such a trying time for people. I can see why they encourage people to think about the unit care. And, and the emergency room gets separate caps, right? Um, we do, yeah. The emergency room as well as the ambulatory environment um, are separated out of the inpatient uh, HCAP surveys, patient satisfaction surveys. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to approach it that way. Yeah. Because it's not the emergency room's uh, fault that they, no. they're seeing a trauma. Right. Um, and they're seeing people at the lowest point in their lives. Correct. And, um, and you know, we've got the, one of the largest emergency rooms, most beautiful emergency rooms. It is. Well-staffed with ER doctors, with nurses, with C, um, CNAs, respiratory therapists, radiation. We got the best yeah, I was, emergency room in the South. I took a tour United of States. it not long ago, and it was phenomenal. They, they took they care, care of me. A service that no one else provides. And, um, but unfortunately, if uh, we don't have staff to staff the floors, sometimes patients right. get caught up in the ER and end up spending the night. Well, the ER is not the place you want to spend at night. But the reality is we have that ability here because we've got 107 treatment rooms. And sometimes they get used as inpatient beds, and that ends up being a bad rap on the ER, right. even though their work is over. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting, um, you know, we're fortunate to have it. Yep. And they do a great job. They do the best job. There's no place else I'd, I'd rather go when I need health care, obviously. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate we have to kind of try and segregate it yeah. out of the inpatient um, experience. Um, I, but but it, it was just interesting to me because, I, you know, if you think about it, when you come into the ER, you're uncertain and you're in pain. Hopefully by the time you get to the floor, your pain may have subsided, be, subsided because they gave you something. Or, and, and you kind of know what's going on, so you have a whole different mindset. I get it. Yeah. I just had never really thought about that You before. know, John, you and I were talking about something earlier that ha has an, a, an effect on the ER, and it's a long ways from the ER, but um, it's some of the patients in our community that are elder. Yeah. And may come to us from skilled nursing facilities or post-acute care facilities or from their homes that may or may not have family here. And when it's time for them to be discharged, they may or may not have the resources to go to a facility to help them uh, recuperate, and they may not have family to help them at home. Right. So they become a challenge to be discharged home. So their length of stay is extended. Yep. That doesn't mean we get paid more. Right. Uh, but all those patients that fill our inpatient beds have an impact on our ability to move patients out yeah. of the, the emergency room. So it's, it's a complex it model is. and it's a complex process. Uh, and it's multifactorial. There's not a single solution to it. But I think, you know, we're doing a good job of measuring it and, and reducing it, which is great. You know, so I think, yeah. I think they're doing a fantastic job. All right, I want to go to Epic. So I'm pushing for Be Epic as the, uh, as the program name. And we are getting ready to launch a campaign because, as Kim said, which I think is brilliant, Kim Fulcher, our Chief uh, Human Resources Officer, she said, Halifax Health is going to hire from the inside and out. What does that mean, inside and out? Well, I'm going to emphasize the inside because we have amazing people in our organization, and nobody knows our organization better than the people inside. True. 
And I firmly believe in promoting from within the organization. We've got our leadership academy. We've got a very robust um, nursing program where we have interns, residents, mentorships, yeah, nursing true. education. We've got long-term people here. Um, we've got succession planning programs. We've got a lot of emphasis on developing our people. We've got a lot of foundation scholarship programs, right. tuition reimbursement right. programs where we pay for people. We invest in people. And Epic and Workday, um, you need to be careful just referring to Epic because it's Epic True. and Workday. True. And I'm the executive sponsor for Workday, okay. just so you know. <laughs> Right. Okay. Alberto is okay. the executive right. sponsor right. for Epic. Fair enough. I'm the executive sponsor for Workday. Right. So any naming convention is going to have to okay. going to have to have some reference to okay. uh, our Fair people software. All right. Um, but it is going to be an interesting uh, installation, and um, we're going to we're going to need people who know the system, know our system right. of healthcare, right? Our processes, how we do things. And then they're going to have to learn um, the Workday and the Epic software and how that software functions. And then what we're going to do is use um, the best practices across all the Workday installations as well as Epic installations to get the best possible outcomes for our patients. And we're going to do that. I think our people inside our organization are the best people uh, positioned to do that and to determine that for our patients and for our organization. So people inside our organization will be given preference or priority uh, in applying for these jobs. And we're talking about a lot of people. We're talking yeah, about yeah. maybe 60 to 80 people. Yeah, 80, 80 is the number that I've heard. And uh, we figure that um, when it all shakes out that we're going to need 50 long-term to support it. So we'll have some people that are involved in the installation. Some of those will be consultants, right. okay? Um, but uh, you know that 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 fifty to sixty group, we would love to have all be internal people that know what Halifax is all about, and that we send off to training, and they they bring back new skill sets. And yeah, you know it's it's a great opportunity. And let me tell a quick story. Um, when I first got into healthcare almost forty years ago. I started to work in a small hospital, and we did everything on paper. I mean everything. No computers in the place. And this is going to sound archaic to some of our younger team members, but that's how healthcare was. It wasn't, there was no computers. And my boss came to me and said, here, I want you to uh, install this new computer system. Um, and I had computer classes in college. I wasn't necessarily good at it, but I had computer <laughs> classes. And uh, he said, I want you to install this computer system. And I'm like, all right, what does it do? And I was the director of the admitting department, straight out of college. And I supervised about 15 uh, team members that registered patients and started the medical record process. And they would enter charges that came from the floors and the ancillary departments into the accounts. And I said, great, when's training starting? He says, well, there is no training. It's, it's a turnkey system. <laughs> and you turn it on, it works, and you learn how it works. Right, right. So that's what we did. And I, I literally lived at the hospital for about three months. And, um, I mean, occasionally I'd, I'd go home for six to eight hours, get some sleep, and come right back. 
And, um, but it was a great experience. Yeah. Because you learned how the system worked. You learned how things around the hospital worked. Right. And it was just a tremendous learning experience. And um, so that was the first time around. And subsequent to that, I was, had the opportunity to be involved in, in two subsequent um, computer system conversions. And you learn something new through each and every one of them. It, it's just a great opportunity for our team members to, to learn something new and learn how the hospital works and how the business model works, how the business model supports the clinical environment. Because now, today, I mean, we're going through that same transformation in a clinical environment where everything is becoming computerized. Sure. Yeah. And um, we just, we have to keep looking to the future. And um, like I said earlier, uh, changes the law of life and it's, it's going to happen yeah so look it to will the future. it don't, will and don't get caught up in the way we used to do it so many people are going to work day in epic too i mean so many systems that's all i seem to be reading about and so the great thing about this is on the epic front which i would have done more workday homework had i known that you were the sponsor <laughs> of workday but well my face turns red on the epic front <laughs> You don't necessarily have to be a coder. You don't necessarily, they, they really train you and build because to your point, things have evolved so much now, it's about how well you can learn. But it's gonna be easy because um, let's say we get 40 or, it would be great if we got 40 people internally. The process as I understand it is, you know, it's it, you interview and then there's a Sphinx test which looks at um, math, uh, critical thinking, and these things. And so you may be in a what we would call an IT role now, but you might not have to be because we just want good, good, solid people who have the aptitude to learn. That's it. That's it. You know, it's not, uh, to your point, you don't have to be a coder. You don't have to be a computer genius or have taken multiple uh, computer classes. It's it's equally, if not more important, to understand the processes of the business or the clinical arena uh, or the support arena than it is to understand um, the computer system and right. how, what drives that. Because you're not writing code. No. You're understanding how the system works, just like you try to understand how your iPhone works. Eventually, you figure it out. When? After you play around with it. Enough. Right. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, these, these computer applications are the same way. We just need people that have the ability to sit down and, and play with the system, understand it, and, um, and then go out and teach everybody else how it works and how it interacts with the other applications and the other departments. Yeah. Um, our people in our organization, the things that they do today, you know, whether they're clinicians or whether they're in accounting or whether they're in HR, um, in our procurement areas, uh, receiving areas, our laboratories, they are intelligent people. Right. I have tremendous confidence that they can, can learn these applications and teach other people these applications and become experts and uh, lead us in optimizing um, how these systems work. So if you had to go out on a limb, and I don't know if you've done this yet, and if not, you don't have to answer this, but I understand that when there is a transition, sometimes there's a loss of capturing revenue and there's a lot of auditing that goes back and forth. Is that fair? Absolutely. And if there's not, then you are destined to fail. Right. But do you have an idea of how much revenue we're missing today that we will pick up with Epic? 
I do not. Um, I can guarantee you this. Uh, we're missing revenue opportunities. Right. And uh, when we say, when we talk about revenue opportunities, we really need to understand what that means. Coding. It means our charges. Yep. Um, are we getting, are all the charges flowing from an operating room? Um, everything that was done and used on that patient, are they put in the system? And does that, that system flow to the patient's bill? Right. And is it being coded properly? Because every single item has a code associated with it. And that's either, it's, it's called a CPT code, uh, common procedural terminology, clinical terminology. And um, that has a, is a describer that is then translated into a reimbursement rate. So the, the whole billing process is overly complicated, which is part of the problem to begin with. But yes, um, there are charges that are missed. And sometimes if a charge is missed, it impacts uh, the reimbursement level and may throw it into another reimbursement category. So there's a lot of things that impact revenue and cash flow during a conversion. But uh, Epic, you know, does a pretty good job of estimating how much we're going to um, capture in that process. And, you know, they're, they're projecting over $10 million a year. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. They're projecting. Right. Um, but there's also downsides to that in that you have to have a good process flow in place right. before you implement these systems. And the last time we upgraded Meditech, we did not do a good job of that. Mm -hmm. So this goes back to the audits and checks and balances. Right. Let's use oncology uh, for an example. They have a, a system called ARIA. Mm -hmm. And just because we do a procedure in the oncology area, uh, we have to make sure we get the charges put in. And... Um, that they match up with the procedure that was done and the CPT code and diagnosis codes are associated with that. Well, that's in the ARIA system. It has to flow to the Meditech system in order to bill. Right. Um, well, does all that flow through a charge interface every night? And is there, mm. is there a reconciliation taking place and saying, all right, we had 200 charges in medical oncology today and the total was $4 million in chemotherapy or immunotherapy or services, and did that all flow through the Meditech? Those are the types of flow processes you have to make sure that you're doing before you implement a new system right? so that you've got a baseline. So after you implement that new system, you can compare them and say, all right, does this smell right? Does this look right? Or is this way out of whack? And Mike Marks said, our, our chief information officer, Mike Marks said we have eight uh, electronic medical record systems right now. There you go. So. And so you're going to have to do that for all eight. Yep. So it's a, it's a huge project, but there's great opportunity. It is, and that's one of the reasons that we're making this transition. Yeah. Is to cut down on the complexity and the interfaces that exist today. Those are points of failure. Yeah. And um, so we're going to go through a little bit of pain, and uh, uh but we're going to do all the work we can and fix all the issues we can because there's going to be, be plenty of things that we don't see coming right. that uh, will impact cash flow for, for a period of time. But, um, yes, uh, in the end, this will position us in a much better place um, clinically and serving our, our patients. Right, because you'll, you'll have your medical record, as you say, in, you know, in your pocket. That's amazing. So that'll be great. And, but, but really, the, the point of this was... We have so many opportunities in front of us. 
you know, we have everything from beginning analyst jobs, which start at $50,000-ish, to team leads. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. And then once you get certified for Epic or Workday, you're a more, I mean, you have additional value. Hopefully you don't leave because you love it here, but it's something that Halifax Health is willing to do. I was with Ashley Bush this morning. She, I was giving a tour. And, you know, she got all of her education through Halifax Health, and now she's the head of trauma and... Um, and strokes. So, I mean, there's all this opportunity here. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. All this opportunity. There is, and it goes back to our willingness and desire to invest in people. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of those people will stay with us. Some won't, but it's a great place to learn. And once you've once you worked at Halifax, um, you can work anywhere. Yeah, there's really no can. doubt. You get to training here that you can go anywhere and work anywhere. You throw Workday and Epic on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, great. potential. So the final thing, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Um, there is so much talk these days about urology. I mean, so much talk amongst my friends because we're all getting to that age. I just got a phone call from one of them. I was gonna say, I don't know what you're talking yeah, about, right? John. Um, and uh, and we are um, kind of revamping our urology program with University of Florida. And there's a gentleman who's hit the, hit, hit the ground running, uh, Dr. Sedelsky. We are so fortunate. Um, Dr. Sedelsky is amazing. His, his background is, is uh, um, very interesting. And, um, um, you know, he came to us at the, at the right time. There's some change in, going on in uh, the age of some of the urologists in our community and, and their willingness to to work in an environment that we have here, being the tertiary care facility that uh, you know really uh, works to, to provide the highest level of care. And you're either into that or you're not. And right. if you're not, then sometimes you leave. Yep. And um, so Dr. Sadelsky is is uh, the tip of the spear yeah. for us in this arena. We In, uh, I think, June of 2024, we'll have Dr. Soon Sutton that'll be coming and uh, be, be partnering with uh, Dr. Um, Sadelsky, but in addition to Dr. Sadelsky, we've got Dr. Shi. Dr. Right. Shi is uh, a urologist by training, but she's also a kidney transplant. Yeah, doctor. that's amazing. That's a yeah. backup for Dr. Johnson. That's also a part of taking a urology call. We've got Dr. Hermanson, Dr. Parr, that's filling in here and we're working out. We've got better urology coverage today than we've ever had. That's amazing. And um, we've got young. Uh, young urologists that we're bringing in. So, but Dr. Sadowski is a, the tip of the spear on that, and we're fortunate to have him here. And so, if you know somebody, a friend that yeah. that needs a urologist, yeah. John, just, yes, um, we know a few. And the next big topic uh, for our next podcast will be colorectal surgeons. Oh That's another big, big. We've got Dr. Need. Raza coming. So, I mean, we we're just, yeah. we're stocked. Dr. Raza, I think, is going to be here in January, or February. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I heard a rumor that. He did his training at the University of Florida, and um, I guess they used to refer to him as the mayor. Wow! In, in uh, UF, because he was always around, you know, um, schmoozing with people yeah. and and um, you know making things right in the, the healthcare environment at uh, UF Health in in Gainesville. And he's up in Pennsylvania now. Um, isn't what he thought it was going to be. So he wants to come back and. And be associated with the UF in an academic medical center, but in a community-based setting. Yeah, it's perfect. This is absolutely perfect for him. Perfect. And he'll be the tip of the spear when it comes to our 
colorectal, uh, development of our colorectal program. But between he and Dr. Sadelsky, they will help build um, those specialties that will support the cancer programs. Right. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, colorectal cancer. Yep. Okay. Then those docs will refer to our oncology program and get, have access to the best oncologists in town. Um, urologist and bladder or prostate cancer can refer to our, our program. Uh, we will, uh, these docs will help us build in conjunction with UF the strongest surgical cancer program. You say, well, what's a surgical cancer program? Let's look at Dr. Molpus in gynecological oncology. He's a surgical oncologist, a gynecologist specifically. Um, so um, there are certain surgical specialties that help support the oncology program, and we will be very, very aggressively growing those. That's great. And uh, um, we look forward to that. It's, it's going to be, you know, there's always something really cool going on in yeah. healthcare. And, you know, the next two years aren't going to be unlike the last two years. It's, right. it's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot going on. It's always going to be exciting. And I can't imagine doing anything differently, and I certainly can't imagine doing it anywhere else than right here at, at Halifax Health. It is really a true, truly an honor and a privilege for me to be a part of this team. And, and I just, I appreciate everything that our team has done uh, through the pandemic and, and keeping us uh, profitable and serving our community. And most importantly, providing the highest level of uh, quality care uh, that you can get anywhere in Southeast United States. I couldn't have written sound bites any better than that. That was awesome.